But we are going to be looking at Matthew 28, verses 11 to 15, if you want to position yourselves there. And then if you would bow your head with me, let's ask the Lord's blessing on our time together here this morning, all right? Father in heaven, hallowed is your name. We bless your name, Elohim, the creator God of heaven and earth, who was existent in the beginning and who has no end. We bless your name, El Shaddai, the God Almighty who nourishes and supplies us with every good thing, for you are all bountiful and you are all sufficient. We bless you, Adonai, our Lord, for you are Jehovah, the completely self-existent one, always present and revealed to us in Jesus, who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And we come to you this morning with the request that our time here together would also be hallowed, that it would be holy, set apart, sanctified, as we allow your spirit to enlighten us through your written word. Give us teachable spirits, Father, uncluttered by any previous biases or preconceived ideas about the truth that is revealed in your divinely inspired scripture. And we ask that every attitude, every thought, every word spoken would truly be those that bring pleasure to you and glory to your Son, our one and only Savior. For we ask knowing that these petitions are only heard by you because of the righteousness of Christ who parted the veil into your presence for us. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Well, in this lesson, we are going to be discussing the first lie that was propagated. And it was propagated by Israel's religious rulers in their attempt to silence the truth of the Lord's third day resurrection. And this lie is called the theft theory or the theft conspiracy. It was that the Lord's disciples stole his body, that he did not resurrect from the dead, the disciples stole his body. And we're not only going to together refute this lie, but we're going to then very quickly look at a few other resurrection alternative theories that unbelieving men have devised over the passing centuries in their evil-hearted attempts to disprove the bodily resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Now, it cannot be disproved. It cannot be. But the evil one who is behind all of these theories knows that if he can get people to dismiss the resurrection, the bodily resurrection of the Lord Jesus, that he has succeeded in snatching from them the saving power of the triune gospel message. Because remember, it is the resurrection that makes the gospel, the first two parts of the gospel message that look like seemingly bad news, his death and his burial, into good news, right? It's the good news of the resurrection that turns the bad news of the death and the burial also into good news, great news, the good news of salvation. And as a little teaser, let me throw out to try to inspire you to stay till the end of the lesson. A lot of times I do that. Like last week with the threes, I keep the good stuff till the end. At the end of this lesson, one of the alternate resurrection theories we are going to be looking at is one maybe you've never heard of. It is called the Muslim substitute theory. Do the Muslims, does the Islam faith teach that Jesus was crucified and that he rose from the dead? Well, stick around. But I think in our day and age, it's important for us to know these things. It's important for us to know what Islam teaches. Don't you think? It's the fastest growing religion in the world today. Well, let's look now at verses 11 to 15, Matthew 28, uh, where it says, now when they were going. Okay, who is the they there? Well, it is the women, that group of Galilean women who were on their way to tell the disciples that the angels said the Lord was risen and as they were going to find the scattered disciples who appears right in front of them, Jesus, he says, all hail, he gives them a message and it's as they're still on their way to the disciples, now we go to verse 11, when they were going, behold, some of the watch came into the city. 
Who is the watch there? What is the watch speaking of? The Roman soldiers. Some of the soldiers came into the city. That would be, of course, Jerusalem. And showed unto the chief priests all the things that were done. What would that entail? Well, let's review and look at verses 2 to 4. Same chapter. It says there, and behold, this is after Mary Magdalene and the other women had set out on their way to the tomb early Sunday morning. She's on her way. The women are on their way. And we are interrupted to hear about this account in, in uh, verse 2. It says, and behold, there was a, what kind of earthquake? Great earthquake. For the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. Now, you do remember, he rolled away the stone so that witnesses could see into the tomb. He didn't roll it away so that Jesus could get out. Jesus had already resurrected. All right, and here's a description of the angel. Verse 3, his countenance was like lightning and his raiment white as snow. And for fear of him, the keepers did shake and became as dead men. Who were the keepers? The soldiers. Okay, now let's go back again to verse 11. That is what some of the keepers, some of the watch, some of the Roman soldiers went and reported to the chief priests. Now look at verse 12. And when they were assembled with the elders, that would be when the chief priests and the elders came together in the Sanhedrin council, that's your highest ruling court of Israel. When they came together and had taken counsel, they gave large money unto the soldiers, saying, Say ye, his disciples came by night and stole him away while we slept. And if this come to the governor's ears, who would that be? Pilate, Pontius Pilate, if this word, you know, comes to Pilate's ears, we will persuade him and secure you. In other words, we will protect you from Pilate. And then verse 15, So they, the soldiers, took the money and did as they were taught. And this saying is commonly reported among the Jews until this day. All right. It is, as with so much we have been studying over the years, this is very ironic. It's it's very ironic that Mary Magdalene had freely given a false message initially regarding the empty tomb, thinking it was true. She said someone has taken the Lord's body, and she thought it was true. She gave a false message, but she thought it was true, and she she gave that message freely, okay? But the chief priests paid to spread a false message regarding the missing body, knowing, knowing that it was a lie. Is it not also ironic that the women, when the women told the disciples that Jesus was alive and that they had even seen him and touched him, remember how they fell down before him and worshipped him? They thought, the disciples thought, the true believers thought that the women were speaking idle tales. But the religious rulers did believe the Sunday morning report of the Roman guard which Matthew tells us included all the things that were done. You see that in verse 11? The report of the soldiers included all things that had been done. What would that include? Well, it would include the descending angel. It would include the great earthquake, the rolled away one and a half to two ton stone, and it must have included the empty grave clothes inside of the tomb. Even though we are not told in the scripture that the soldiers entered into the tomb, surely they would have. They would have entered into the tomb when they emerged from their catatonic state of as dead men. Remember it says for fear they fell down as dead men. Uh, they were like paralyzed. I don't know if they fainted on the spot or whatever. But when they got up from that condition, we know they went into the tomb. Because how else would they have known that the body was gone? And I'm going to repeat this several times this morning, but they would not have left their post if the body was still there. Because that was their duty. That was their responsibility. They needed to stay there at the tomb if the body was there. So they knew the body was missing. That means they went into the tomb and saw the empty grave clothes. Well, Matthew alone gives us the account of the Roman sentries 
He began by telling us about their assignment by Pilate at the request of the Jews to secure, seal, and then guard the tomb through the third day. That was back in uh, Matthew 27, verses 64 to 66. Only through the third day. Why did they only have to guard the tomb, tomb through the third day? Well, because if, even if Jesus rose on the fourth day, it would still make his predictions null and void because he had said he would rise on the third day. So then he would disqualify to be the Messiah. And Matthew alone records the guard's reaction to the descending angel whose face was like lightning and his raiment was like uh, snow, white as snow. And what was that reaction? I just mentioned it. It was of such fear that they did shake. They had little mini inner earthquakes inside of them. And I'm not making that up because remember we said that the word shake there in verse 4, speaking of them, is the same seismic Greek word as the earthquake. They had earthquakes inside of them and became as dead men, fainted on the spot. Now, again, Matthew is the only one who tells us in um, whatever verse it is that some of the watch reported to the chief priests all of these things that had happened that morning, which would have only been probably 30 minutes ago, maybe 20, 30 minutes ago. Don't get this idea that the, that, uh, the tomb was far from Jerusalem. And where the chief priests would be, or where Caiaphas lived, and where the Sanhedrin council chamber was. All of this is very, very close. It's about a quarter of a mile from the tomb to, to the inside of the city where the council chamber would be. So when the soldiers get there, it probably only took them 15, I don't know if they ran, could have taken them 10 minutes to go a quarter of a mile. So we're not talking about a lot of time here, but when it tells us that um, some, that's in verse 11, went... That speaks of more than two soldiers, doesn't it? Because if there were two soldiers, what would you use? What word would you use? Both. Both. Both went. Um, we know there were more than two. Uh, picture books. You, know, you, you have to be very careful when it comes to Bible picture books. Because they can be very misleading. I don't know why a lot of the artists in Bible picture books just don't study the scripture or something. Or they just use artistic license, and, and it can be very misleading. But there are picture books, which you can probably visualize in your mind, with one or two Roman soldiers standing outside the tomb with wooden spears wearing miniskirts. They are irresponsible representations of the truth. And you have to be careful with your children and your grandchildren that they don't believe the picture book more than the truth of the word of God. You always have to take Test the picture against the truth of Scripture. We know from extra-biblical historical documentation that there were likely 12 to 16 men on duty for this assignment. Some commentaries say there could have been even up to 60 because of the importance of Jesus of Nazareth and the importance that this was to the Jews to keep him in the tomb and not allow somebody to steal the body. The sum guard who went into the city would have been who do you think who would have been the ones to go into the city and give the report to the chief priest the highest ranking of the soldiers probably the officers they would be the ones who because they were in charge of the others would have to they were obligated to give a report and they are the ones who go to the chief priest to tell them everything that happened now i want to pause here because this is a homework question hint hint I want to pause for a minute to give you three reasons. There are more, but I'm not going to burden you with all of them. I'm just going to give you three reasons why I believe the guard at the tomb was a Roman guard and not members of the Jewish temple police. Now, you will pick up commentaries or hear maybe preachers that say that this, these were temple police. And the reason they will say that is because these guys go to the chief priests, the Jewish chief priests, instead of to Pilate with their report. So they say they must have been Jewish, the Jewish temple police. But if the guard, and I don't agree with that, and here's my first reason, if the guard was Jewish temple police, there would have been no reason for the Jewish religious leaders to have gone to Pilate with their request back in Matthew 28, verse 64, to secure the sepulcher until the third day. Why would the Jews have gone to Pilate to ask him for a guard to watch the tomb until the third day? if they were just Jewish temple police. Because, you know, that was a Jewish graveyard. You do realize it. 
Whose tomb was he buried in? Joseph of Arimathea. He was a member of the Sanhedrin Council. It was a Jewish graveyard right there outside of Jerusalem. It was not a Gentile graveyard. And therefore, the Jewish Sanhedrin Council had the authority to send their own police force to guard that graveyard and that particular tomb. So they wouldn't have gone to Pilate if it was their own temple police. All right. Second reason, Matthew 28, 12 refers to these guards as, in the Greek, stratiotes. Now, that is the correct pronunciation. I know because I'm Greek and I had to go to Greek school. I hated it, but at least I know how to pronounce Greek words. Okay, so you all want to practice? No, you don't. All right. (laughs) But the Greek word there is stratiotes, and it is found another, that same word, another 25 times in the New Testament. 22 of those 25 times, it refers to Roman soldiers. Two of those additional times, it speaks of soldiers of Herod Agrippa. Once, it refers to you and I as soldiers of of Christ. But never, never does the word stratiotes refer to Jewish temple police. So if this was the case here, it would be the only one, one and only one, in the whole New Testament. That's a pretty strong argument. Third reason I'm going to give you is that a bribe by the Jewish council would not have been necessary if the guards were Jewish temple police because they were under their direct authority and a simple order to them, you know, say that the disciples took the body, that simple order would suffice. Otherwise, they could be arrested. You get it? Or or even stoned to death. The Jews didn't have the illegal authority to stone people to death, but did they when they wanted to? Yeah, they did when they wanted to. Authority or no authority. So those are three reasons. This was a Roman guard. And in that case, most of the picture books are correct, aren't they? Because you do have your little soldiers there in their miniskirts, the Romans. (laughs) Well, fear, fear was one of the reasons for the faultless attention to duty among the ranks of Romans, Rome's soldiers. There were 18 offenses that were punishable by death. It would be a scary thing to be a Roman soldier. There's 18 different things you could do and you'd be punished with death. And these included, of course, desertion. They included losing your weapon, betraying plans to an enemy, being a traitor. We've seen a little bit of that in our country lately, haven't we? Um, Refusing to protect an officer leaving a watch, and falling asleep while on duty. Now, this particular tomb guard was in dire straits, weren't they? They were literally between a rock and a hard place. And I think, ha, 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 because the tomb, you know, rock, a rock and a hard place. Oh, I'm so funny. Well, <laughs> when... When the stone was removed and the official Roman seal was broken and the body was somehow mysteriously gone, they were as good as what? They were as good as court-martialed and dead, whatever their excuse might be. And can you imagine them giving the report before a mighty Roman military court? It would sound a little bit weird, wouldn't it? So they were in dire straits. Now, the history of Roman military discipline testifies to the fact that if the tomb was not empty, as I said before, these soldiers would never have left their position. The leaders of this particular watch obviously decided when they got up, They decided that their best alternative was to go to the Jewish officials with the truth of what had happened that morning. I guess they figured that they had less to fear from them than they did from Pilate, maybe because they knew the Jews had no legal authority to put anyone to death. Or they may have figured that these religious fanatics, and did they think of the Jews as religious fanatics? Yeah, the Romans thought of the Jews as religious fanatics. So they might have thought that they would believe their report of the supernatural more than Pilate would have. I don't know what their reasoning, but they decided to go to the chief priests. So in God's orchestration of events, the officers of the guard 
went to the chief priests to tell them about the amazingly beautiful, brilliant angel who descended from out of the sky and the great earthquake and the supernatural removal of the stone by that angel and the broken Roman seal and the mysteriously empty grave clothes in the tomb looking like a body was still in them but hollow. Can you see the Lord's sense of humor in all of this? I hope you can. I do. You know, Lord, the Lord has a sense of humor. How do I know he has a sense of humor? Because he created us in his image. Do you have a sense of humor? If you don't, shame on you. <laughs> you just laugh so you prove you do. All right, but there, I see the Lord's sense of humor in this. The Romans run, okay, get this. The Romans run with their report of an amazing angelic being and a missing body to who? Who did they go to? The chief priests, which would have included the two evil, corrupt, co-reigning high priests, Caiaphas and Annas, had no business having two at the same time, but everything in Israel at that time was corrupt, right? So they had two co-reigning high priests. And it would have included those two guys and the other chief priests. And these guys were all members of which Jewish sect? The Sadducees. What were the two major supernatural things the Sadducees strongly disbelieved? You got it. (laughs) They did not believe in angels, spirit beings, and they did not believe in the resurrection. I would have loved to have seen the faces of Annas and Caiaphas and the other chief priests when these Roman soldiers came running in with their report. Wouldn't you? I wish I could have been a little fly in the wall just to get see their faces. You know, it is possible, and I think this is absolutely what happened, that the two men most responsible for the death of Jesus, who were those two co-reigning high priests, Annas and Caiaphas, son-in-law and father-in-law, that those two men actually heard the report of Jesus' resurrection before anyone else. And I say this because if you think back through the chronology, what's the first thing that happened Sunday morning? The angel, well, of course, the Lord resurrected, but there's no report of that, except the angels say he's risen. Um, But the first thing that we have is the angel descending and, and the Roman soldiers falling down after they saw him and him rolling away the stone. Then Mary arrives, okay? When Mary arrives, where are the Roman soldiers? They're gone. So they had a head start to get just a quarter of a mile to Annas and Caiaphas and the chief priests, they were the first ones who heard the message of the resurrection. Did they know the gospel message complete? Yes. Did they know about the death of Jesus? Of course they did. They were there. They were the ones who had him crucified. Did they know about the burial? Yeah, they sure did. That's why they wanted a guard over the tomb. And now they're the first ones to hear of the resurrection. What do you think would have happened if the leaders, the spiritual, supposed to be the spiritual leaders of Israel, had believed the Roman report and surrendered to Jesus, what do you think would have happened? History would be different. Jesus would have ascended to his father, come right back down, set up the kingdom. Because those spiritual leaders would have then told their people that he truly is. And the people would have followed their leaders. But what happened instead? Completely different story, right? They made up a lie. But do you notice that the chief priests, when they hear this report, from the Roman soldiers. They don't argue with them. That's interesting, isn't it? They don't argue. Uh, do you notice that they don't even mock them for their very definitely strange, spectacular account? And were the Jewish religious leaders good at mocking? Yes. And being sarcastic, they were very good at that. But they don't argue. They don't mock. You know what? They surely would have felt that great earthquake wouldn't they? Just a few minutes before the Romans came running in. Because we're talking again, all within a close distance, a quarter of a mile. And if it was a great earthquake, they felt the rumble under their feet. And speaking of earthquakes, this is this report of the Roman officers. Don't you know that sent great shock waves into the hearts of these Jews? Everybody's having little mini earthquakes this morning, the Sunday morning. This would have 
put a little earthquake in their hearts because this was the very news that they least wanted to hear. And isn't that sad? Isn't that tragic? It's the greatest news I ever heard when I was 22 and a half years old that Jesus Christ died for me. He was buried and he rose from the dead on the third day. And he did it for me and I could be saved. And yet when they hear this, it's terrible to them. It's horrible because it was a report that contradicted, for one thing, their own teaching. Do you find that a lot of people don't want to have their teaching contradicted, what they've grown up with? I don't know where you all come from in your backgrounds, but could it possibly be, as in my case, that what you grew up with and what mom and dad said to you and what grandma and grandpa believed, that it wasn't truth? Do you just believe it because they did? Or do you investigate the truth for yourself? Do you investigate things for yourself? That's what we should do. But think of the millions and billions of people on this earth who only believe because, well, this is what they've always believed, my ancestors, and so I believe it. And they don't. And that's what we have here. They were upset with this because they didn't believe in angels and they didn't believe in resurrection. And so we can't have this. It contradicts our own teaching. And secondly, if word got out and the people soon realized that Jesus was who he claimed to be, That he said, destroy this temple in three days, I'll rise it up, raise it up. And he did. That he truly is the son of God, the king of Israel, the Messiah. They would therefore then know that their own leaders had been responsible for killing their own Messiah. And do you think those leaders would be in trouble with the people? Mm Mm-hmm. Their lives would be on the line. But their silence in not mocking and not arguing with these soldiers and really not immediately running to the tomb to investigate the situation for themselves, as well as their bribery money, all of these things unwittingly are their confession that they did believe the report of the miraculous things that occurred at Jesus' tomb. They believed the report of the soldiers. When you think about it, they were used to hearing a lot of amazing things about Jesus in the past three and a half years, weren't they? They had even probably been eyewitnesses of some of those amazing things. And actually, just about two weeks prior to this, two or three weeks prior to this, they had even heard reports from many people about something that had happened in nearby Bethany, just two miles outside of Jerusalem, when a four-day dead man came out of his tomb because Jesus called him forth, Lazarus. So they were used to hearing amazing reports about Jesus. So when they heard this one, I'm sure they gritted their teeth, but they believed it. They also knew that the Romans were reliable witnesses. They were unbiased. They were neutral when it came to Jesus. You know, that was a Jewish issue, Messiah and all that kind of stuff. They were totally objective about this. They would not have left their post if what they were saying was not true and the jews knew that there was no reason whatsoever for the roman soldiers to fabricate a story that would put their own lives on the line and the priests could see that these rough tough soldiers were visibly shaken can you sometimes really tell when somebody is speaking the truth by the way their eyes shift around or what i mean it's we don't always know, but it's pretty easy to, to sense if somebody's lying or somebody's telling the truth. And these chief priests were convinced these soldiers were telling them what they had really seen earlier that morning. So rather than disputing or mocking or unfortunately doing the best thing, what would be the best thing that the chief priests could have done? What would be the best thing Annas or Caiaphas could have done? Not only believe their report, but surrender in faith to that report surrender in faith to jesus as the son of god confessing their own horrific sin in having crucified him and would jesus have saved them oh yes absolutely even after killing him father forgive them they know not what they do he would have forgiven them but they didn't do that They didn't confess. They didn't surrender to Jesus. Instead, they decided to counsel together with the Jewish elders on how they could counter the truth 
That's really sad. And the Jewish nation, Israel, is still suffering from their decision. You know, the greatest tragedy of all is to know the truth, the facts concerning Christ, but not submit in faith to those facts. You know, to have the facts up here in your head and not move them 18 inches down to your heart. Do we see people in churches that are churches full of people like that? Yeah, they got head knowledge but not heart knowledge because they've never internalized those facts. They've never surrendered to Christ. They've never received him, invited him in their hearts to save them. And this was the extremely tragic situation of the Jewish religious authorities at this time. They were completely resolved. They were adamant. They were stubborn. They were stiff-necked to not surrender to the truth no matter how convincing it was or convicting it was. They wouldn't believe no matter how much evidence was brought forth. Now they knew all three tenets of the gospel message, the death, burial, and resurrection of, of Jesus, but they willfully rejected him as Lord. And Jesus had said this. He had predicted this. Remember when he said, if they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. Do you remember, and, and you can look at this because it's right in Matthew 27, verses 42 and 43. You remember how the priests, the chief priests, instigated the crowds at Calvary? They were there watching Jesus on the cross, and they were stirring up the crowds. And if you look at verses 42 and 43, essentially, they're mocking him, saying, If this Savior of others, they say, He saved others. Himself he cannot save. If this savior of others is indeed the king of Israel, as it was written above his head, right? Pilate had it written up there. If he's the king of Israel and the son of God, as he himself claims, then we will believe him if he proves it by doing what? By coming down from the cross. But let me ask you a question. If he had come down from the cross, would they have believed him? No. How do we know they would not have believed him? Well, we know because they did not put their faith in him when he did an even greater miracle of coming up. Not coming down, but coming up from the dead. And you know what? It's really a very good thing for us that Jesus did not come down from the cross, isn't it? Oh boy, yes. Or we'd still be dead in our sins. Could he have come down from the cross if he wanted to? All by himself because he's the son of God? He could have. Or he said, you know, he could have called more than 12 legions of angels. How many is that? A legion is 6,000. 72,000 angels. He could have called every angel in the universe because he said he could have called more than that to assist him. He wouldn't need the angels. But it was a far greater miracle, in fact, that he did not come down from the cross. His love for you and I kept him on the cross. That's the greater miracle. And the even greater miracle than that is that he rose from the dead. So the reaction of the hip, hypocritical chief priest to the soldier's report shows that although they did believe it, yet they refused to submit to Jesus as their savior, their king, and God. And this is very well evidenced to us by the fervency of their plot to keep the Jewish people from knowing the truth. Oh, 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 how sad. You see, how to prevent others from coming to have faith in Jesus was really the main topic of their council session. And they've been having a lot of emergency council sessions lately in the last three or four days. This is another one. And they devise a very evil three-part plan and this is contrived by the priests to counter the truth that they had just heard about Jesus' empty tomb. The first part of their plan, verse 12, was to bribe the soldiers with a very large amount of money so that they would do what they asked them to do. Now, the Greek word that is used for money is agirion, and it literally means silver. It's the same Greek word that was used to speak of the money that was paid to who? Judas Iscariot. Except here we find that it has the word large in front of it. It's a large amount of money because they paid the officers and then I'm sure they gave enough money for the officers then to distribute to the other soldiers to keep them all quiet about the truth. 
This is actually the third time that the Jewish leaders have used money, which they probably took from the temple treasury, robbing God to speak anti-God things. This is the third time in just a few days to buy off people so as to do things against Christ. Sad, sad, sad. Remember who else besides Judas they had bribed? False witnesses. They had bribed false witnesses to testify against Jesus during their illegal trial sessions. Now, the second part of their evil plan is found in verse 13, and it was for the guard to replace the truth of what had happened at the tomb with the lie that Jesus' disciples had stolen his body while they were sleeping. They couldn't even come up with a good lie, and we'll look at that, but... Here are men, I'm talking about the priests, the high priests and the chief priests and the elders, the whole council of Israel. These are men who were supposed to be God's ambassadors of truth to the entire world. Were they not? They had the truth of the scriptures. They had the truth about the one and only true God, Jehovah. They were to be spreading that word to him, of him to the whole world. You know where the Old Testament Great Commission is? We know where the New Testament Great Commission is. It's right here in our chapter, the last two verses of Matthew 28. Where is the Old Testament Great Commission, which was to Israel? It's found in Psalm 96, verse 3. And here is what it says. You can memorize it. It's really easy. Declare his glory among the heathen. Israel, declare his glory among the heathen. Declare his wonders among all people. Were they doing that? No, they weren't doing that at all. They were keeping the truth to themselves. And actually they had perverted it so much they didn't even have the truth anymore. And now here we find they're trying to keep it even from their own people. Very, very tragic. But the second part is that they want to replace the truth of what happened with a lie. You see, these spirit, supposed spiritual leaders of Israel had stooped to use bribery to arrest Jesus, to... Um, Hire false witnesses against an innocent man. They had held illegal trials to condemn him to death. And now, after hearing of the empty tomb, they again lower themselves to, bribe, to use bribery and lying witnesses to try to keep the news of his resurrection from his, their own people, much less the world. Well, the third phase of the plan um, is found in verse 14. They promised to protect the soldiers from Pilate and the death sentence for saying that they had fallen asleep on the job. Because if, when they go out there and say they fell asleep on the job, um, they would be put to death by Pilate. There, do you think there's little doubt that these religious rulers could manipulate Pilate so that he wouldn't put these soldiers to death? Have we seen that they were able to get Pilate to tip? capitulate whenever they wanted to what did all they have to do with Pilate to get their way threaten him with Caesar right because he's already on very shaky ground with Caesar so they knew that they could get Pilate to not kill the soldiers but as compromising and as wishy-washy as Pilate was he was not a dumb man he was not stupid he knew the conniving hearts of these Jewish religious leaders, these hypocrites. And he would know that all of his soldiers, 12 to 16 of them at least, had not fallen asleep. So he would have been more than willing not to put them to death. He didn't believe the Jews for a minute and what they had told the soldiers to say. Can you imagine him trying to explain that one to Caesar? You know, here's his letter to Caesar. <clears throat> Dear Caesar, I just wanted to let you know that I had to kill 16 of the soldiers that you commissioned to assist me in ruling here in Judea. Regrettably, they failed to keep a dead man in his tomb. Best regards, Pontius. <laughs> I don't think that would fly. <laughs> when you think all this through, really... Pilate was probably very surprised that the Jews did not demand the deaths of the guard. After all, they, the Jews, were the ones who had so desperately wanted Jesus dead. 
in the first place, right? They were the ones who brought Jesus to him to crucify. And Pilate knew why they wanted to do that. Remember we were told that he knew that they wanted to kill Jesus for envy because they envied his popularity with the people. And Pilate would wonder, I mean, they, the Jews, were the ones who had so badly wanted Jesus' tomb secured. Therefore, wouldn't they be the most upset of all if those soldiers really had fallen asleep and allowed the body to be stolen? So, if the Jews didn't want to punish the guard for falling asleep on the job, then wasn't something really suspicious here? Obviously suspicious, and Pilate knew that. Whatever the situation, he would know that his men did not deserve a death penalty. Well, unfortunately, the Roman guard did take the bribery money and did as they were taught. You see that in verse 15? Isn't that interesting that Matthew didn't write they did as they were told? Instead, he says they did what they were taught. What this tells us is that the Jewish religious leaders made special effort to instruct the soldiers in the lie that they were to give. I'm sure they rehearsed it. First of all, they told them what not to say. Don't say one word of what really happened there. Here's what you are to say instead. What they were doing was they were giving them their talking points. You know, as we hear in the media, they were giving them their talking points until they had their message down just pat, you know, down pat, perfect. Error Error is very earnest, and it sees to it that it trains its messengers well. It's a shame, but like so many people throughout history, these soldiers had started out proclaiming the truth. You know, many of our elite schools in this country started out as Christian colleges. They started out proclaiming the truth, but when money was waved at them, as money was waved at these Roman soldiers... They turned to proclaiming what they knew was a lie. No wonder God says, the love of money is the root of all evil. And these soldiers were apparently very faithful in their task because Matthew tells us again in verse 15 that the lie, the lie that the disciples stole Jesus' body was commonly reported among the Jews by the time he wrote his gospel account. Matthew wrote his gospel probably 20 to 30 years after it actually happened. Okay, And we know from Justin Martyr, one of the early church fathers, that this lie was still being propagated in the second century. In fact, the sad thing about it is that the same lie is being told to Jewish people today and many other naive people. And um, a lot of people believe it. They haven't thought through it. But I have to say that it has now a lot of competition. This lie has a lot of competition from other false alternative theories devised over the centuries, which we'll discuss some of them in a a few minutes. But what I want to do, first of all, is discuss some of the arguments that disprove this theft theory. And I want to begin with the one argument that is true for all of the alternate resurrection theories, and that is the divine inspiration of Scripture. If you believe that the Word of God is indeed God-breathed, that it is authored by none other than God himself, then the whole issue is really settled. I mean, that's good enough for me. It's probably good enough to, for you, but I want to help you to refute this theory if you ever meet a Jewish person or talk to somebody who, who thinks that this is true. Well, you know, the disciples just came and took the body. But the Bible itself consistent, consistently states that Jesus resurrected from the dead bodily. And that makes it very clear. I mean, really, to believe any of these, you have to throw out the whole Bible. Remember what it said way back in Genesis 3.15? I mean, it all started there. You'd really have to throw out the whole Bible if you don't believe in the resurrection. But let me give you the first uh, other reason other than divine inspiration. Historical studies. Now, try to visualize this in your mind. Yesterday, I had a board to draw it on. But just try to picture what I'm going to tell you. Historical studies of the Roman military tell us how each soldier was trained to protect Six feet of ground. What they would do is they'd have 16 soldiers in a square, picture a square, 16 soldiers, four soldiers on each side. 
And those 16 soldiers in a square were to protect 36 yards of ground and hold it against an entire battalion. And they were so good that they could do that. A unit which was charged with guarding any area, including a tomb, was to operate in this way. Four men standing were placed immediately in front of whatever they were to protect, and the other 12 would form the rest of the square. Now, at night, four men would stand, if in this particular case, they were guarding a tomb, right? So four men, four soldiers, would stand directly in front of the mouth of the tomb, and the other 12 would sleep in front of them in a semicircle on the ground, whoops, on the ground, with their heads on the inside of that semicircle. All right? So this would mean that thieves, anyone trying to rob that tomb, would have to walk over the very heads of the sleeping guard while at the same time not being seen by the four standing awake guards. You get it? Very tough to do. And every four hours, another four guards was, were awakened, and those who had been awake then took their spot on the ground. They took their turn at sleep, and this, it would rotate like this all during the night. Even if there were less soldiers on duty than 12 or 16, it's ridiculous, absolutely ridiculous to think that the disciples could have removed a one stone from the mouth of the tomb, break the Roman seal, enter the tomb, unwrap the body, and uh, put the wrappings back like they had been when the body was inside of them, and then carry out the body without a single guard hearing or seeing them. I mean, if, if they did that, then the Jewish people should have gotten behind the disciples uh, and, and let the disciples lead them in a revolution against Rome. If they had that kind of miraculous power, because that would have been a miracle for the disciples to do. The third argument against this theft by disciples conspiracy theory comes from simple logic. One of my favorite classes in college was logic. And you think, well, you are a weird person. Yes, I am. I loved my logic class. And I think that goes back to being Greek. You know, they're always philosophers and analytical. My husband says, you're so analytical. I'm sorry. And you guys have to take the brunt of that. But here's the million-dollar question, okay? This is going to be a tough one. Do you think, do you think that, um, oh, here's my question. I'm sorry, I'm jumping the gun. If the Roman guard, here's the million-dollar question. If the Roman guard was all sleep, they were all sleeping, then how would they have known what had happened? Now, you don't have to even take a logic class to figure that one out. <laughs> Do you think that their testimony would hold up in a court of law? Can you imagine these guys, 12, 16 of these Roman soldiers in their little miniskirts going up to the witness stand? <laughs> they go up to the witness stand and they say to the judge and to the jury, the body of Jesus of Nazareth was stolen from the tomb by his disciples during the night. And we absolutely, positively know this to be true because we were sound asleep. <laughs> I don't think so. Well, fourth reason. Why would the disciples steal the Lord's body in the first place? There you go. <laughs> um... He had received the most honorable burial they could imagine. I mean, he was buried in a beautiful rich man's garden tomb right outside the city of Jerusalem, the holy city. Every Jew wanted to be right, buried right out. Nobody could be buried in the city, so the closest you could do would be buried outside of the city. That was an honorable burial. Why move him? Oh, unless they were trying to bring comfort to their own despairing hearts, by deceiving everybody else with a false resurrection and finding a cause worth dying for even when they knew it was a lie. Is that logical? Besides, why would they be trying to promote the idea of a resurrection when they did not even remember 
his third day resurrection predictions or believe that anyone would rise from the dead until when? The general resurrection of all people at the end of history, whenever that was. That's what the Jews believed, that unbelievers and believers would all be resurrected sometime way outside of history. Another reason, why would the disciples steal the Lord's body but take time to unwrap it from its grave clothes? You know, wouldn't they be trying to get, if they managed to walk over 12 sleeping heads and in front of four awake, Roman guard, move the stone without waking them up. And wouldn't moving the stone make a little noise, you think, scraping? (laughs) But they managed to do that and they got there in the tomb. Why would they unwrap the body? Because wouldn't they be trying to get out of there as quickly as possible before any of those Roman guard did wake up? And how did they manage to paste back together all the linen strips with a sticky, gummy, aloe, myrrh mixture so that it looks like the body was still in it? Sixth, the disciples did not have the courage to steal the body. When the Lord was arrested in Gethsemane, what did they do? They scattered like frightened sheep from him. Only young John dared to be present at the crucifixion. And I think that's because he was a teenager and he probably figured the Jews would leave him alone. And later on Sunday, where do we find them? We find them behind closed doors, hiding. Why? Because of their fear of the Jews, that the Jews would do to them exactly what they had done to Jesus. This is definitely not a group of men who would make an attempt to steal a body guarded by Roman soldiers. And again, for what motive? To say that he rose from the dead when that was the last thing that they believed and the last thing they were thinking about? You know, to give themselves a a known cause worth dying for even though they knew it was a lie? Well, seventh reason. If the disciples had stolen the Lord's body, that was a capital crime. Why were they never arrested? Why were they never apprehended and brought to a cross-examination by the Sanhedrin court? They could have easily arrested those disciples. They were out in the open on the day of Pentecost, weren't they? There is no attempt whatsoever made by the religious rulers to arrest these men for having stolen Jesus' body. It was a capital offense to steal a body. You know that Annas and Caiaphas would have loved to have condemned these men, to bring them to court and to pressure them until at least one of them squealed and told them what they had done with the body, if that had been the truth. So why didn't Annas and Caiaphas bring these men to court? Why was no case ever brought against the disciples? Why? Well, it's because the council knew that even if threatened with death, the disciples could never have told them where the body was. What would the disciples, every one of them, have said? They could have brought all kinds of people, even up to 500, onto the witness stand. And what would they say? We saw him resurrected. We know what happened to his body. It was transformed into a new glorified, incorruptible body. And they would hear that over and over again. They thought, well, this isn't getting us anywhere. Even when we threaten them to death, they say the same thing. So let's bring up the Roman soldiers and put them on the witness stand. They say, oh yeah, the disciples stole the body we know because we were sleeping. You see why they never brought them to court? They knew that even their confessions, even in the face of imminent death, would only strengthen the case for the disciples that they had seen the resurrected Lord. Well, an eighth way the lie is proven ridiculous is because no one ever searched for the body. If Jesus' body had truly been stolen, then why didn't the Jewish authorities search for it? Wouldn't that have been the best way to disprove his resurrection? Come up with the body. But the reason they did not do an intense search for the body or send out the temple police to arrest the disciples, or maybe Joseph of Arimathea, or Nicodemus, or anybody else involved to investigate them and torture them or threaten them, waterboard them, I don't know, whatever, until they confessed that they knew what happened um, is because they did believe the report that Jesus rose right up out of those grave clothes. I'm sure eventually they went to the tomb, they saw the empty grave clothes, They knew that he did indeed rise from the dead, right out of that sealed tomb that had been guarded by very capable and alert Roman soldiers. 
If the Jews did not believe the truth of resurrection, they would have made very certain that the Roman guard was punished. They would have been absolutely livid with rage if they believed what they told the guard to say, that they had been sleeping on the the job and thus allowed the disciples to come and steal away the body. They would have beaten a path to Pilate so quickly it would make your head spin if the Jews believed the lie they told the guard to spread. Because the empty tomb was a huge, huge problem for them. All right, that's all I'm going to say about the, um, what is it, the theft theory. There are other alternative resurrection theories that I'm not going to spend the time to talk about right now because we're out of time, but they're in your books. On page 127, you can read about the no burial theory, the telepathy theory, the seance theory, the swoon theory, the mistaken identity theory. Um, Last week, we talked about the spiritual resurrection theory extensively because I think that was a very important one that he didn't rise only in spirit he rose bodily but what I want to tell you about is because of time I had three more theories but let me just give you two of those three and I'll skip there's there's one that's called another stolen body theory which was that the Jews or the Romans stole the body that can be easily disputed because as soon as the Christian church started to boom and uh, the disciples were preaching the truth of the resurrection, all the Romans, you know, that was a big problem for both the Romans and the Jews. They hated it. All they would have had to do is come up with the body if they had stolen it. There is another theory called the hallucination theory. And it states that those who saw Jesus after his death and burial were merely hallucinating. They didn't really see him. Their hallucinations were the result of uh, the power of suggestion. Now, this theory has a very difficult time explaining how so many different people over 40 days, different amounts of people, up to even 500 people, none of whom were expecting to see a resurrected Jesus, were influenced by the power of suggestion. Think of Mary. Was she... Was she going to the tomb under the power of suggestion thinking she was going to see a resurrected Savior? No, even when she saw him, she hallucinated and thought he was a gardener. You know, the opposite. Hallucinations are very... Have any of you ever hallucinated? Oh, come on. Yesterday I was the only one, too? (laughs) Have you? Okay, thank you for being honest. I hallucinated. You did? All right. When I was... I wasn't on drugs, okay? Let me make that clear. Um... But as a small child, several times I actually dehydrated so bad that I hallucinated. I remember one time I really thought a locomotive train was coming right through my bedroom. It was so scary, I'll never forget it. But hallucinations, people can hallucinate. They can be deluded about things that they think they see or experience. But there are patterns to the experience of hallucination, um, such as dehydration, drugs, extreme fatigue. Those things can cause people to hallucinate but they are also highly individualized. It is extremely rare for two people to have the same hallucination at the same time, much less 500 people. Plus, Jesus dispelled this theory when he allowed his followers to touch him and he actually ate with them and drank with them. All right, now the other theory that I want to close with is what is called the Muslim substitution theory. Do you know that the Quran of the Islamic faith claims that Jesus was never crucified on the cross. That he was never crucified because Jesus was one of Allah's prophets. Not the greatest prophet. Of course, they say Muhammad came after Jesus and he is the greatest prophet, better than Jesus. But because Jesus was one of Allah's faithful servants, Allah intervened. They took Jesus to Calvary, but Allah intervened to spare him from crucifixion by substituting a bystander in his place. The Quran actually says uh, this in Surah, I'm not sure how you pronounce that, S-U-R-A-H, that means chapter 4, verse 157. This bystander, by the way, Allah made to appear exactly like Jesus. He looked just like Jesus, but he wasn't. He was an innocent bystander. Some of them say he was Simon the Cyrene, 
And others say it was Judas Iscariot. Okay, that doesn't make sense. Judas was already dead by now, wasn't he? He had hung himself. But isn't it typical of satanic things to replace Jesus with Judas? Anyhow, the theory is seriously flawed in many ways. And by the way, there are no scholars who accept this substitutionary theory who are not already committed to Islamic theology. Those, there are definite biblical and historical problems with this theory. And I could be here the whole rest of the day going over the biblical and historical problems with it. But what I want to point out is some of the moral problems with it. Why would God... Now, Allah is not the Jehovah God of our Bible. You know that. Some people say, well, what difference does it make if you call God by a different name? Call him Allah or God or Jehovah. It's all one and the same God. No, 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 no. Allah is not the God of Scripture. And the Jesus of the Quran is not the Jesus of Scripture. He's a false Jesus. But according to them, why would God, Allah, allow an innocent bystander to be tortured and victimized? Why would God deceive Allah, deceive Jesus' family and his friends and his followers and cause them all the pain of watching him die on the cross if it really wasn't him? Why would Mary, Jesus' mother, who, by the way, is reverenced in Islam, did you know that? They reverence Mary. In fact, Muhammad did not understand the Christian faith very well at all. And he taught that the Christian trinity consists of God the Father, Mary, and Jesus. Is that our trinity? Absolutely not. You see, they get rid of the Holy Spirit. But if Mary was part of the trinity... Uh, well, he's not, she's not in, in Islam, but um, they do respect her. Why would Allah deceive Mary into thinking that was her son dying? If God is all-powerful, and if he wanted to spare his faithful prophet Jesus from the agony of crucifixion, in the shame of crucifixion, then why couldn't he have just taken Jesus right up into heaven? Which is what they say that Allah did. He took Jesus right up into heaven, and that he's still in heaven, alive, waiting to return at the end of the age or time. If this theory is true, and if you're confused, that's good. That's a good thing, because lies are always confusing. You can't logically think them through. I always have trouble with lies. But if this theory was true, which it definitely is not, it makes the Islam God... Allah, directly responsible for one of the greatest deceptions in all of history. Would you like a God who deceived people? You know, if the Muslims hate the Christians, especially the radical ones, then they have Allah to thank. Because he's the one who deceived all of us with a substitute Jesus, who we believe, trusted, died for our sins when instead a sinner was substituted for the sinless sacrifice of Jesus. You get it? You don't get it. You shouldn't get it, because it's a lie. It doesn't make sense. But I can't stop here, because there's just one more thing. And this is, if you ever meet a, a Muslim, here is a wonderful argument for you to use with them. Uh, Jesus predicted his own death, didn't he? I mean, they do believe that the Bible is a holy book. Not as holy as the Koran, but they believe the Bible. They've changed a lot of bits of it. But they know Jesus predicted over and over again his own death. And he predicted, actually all the way back in Genesis 3.15, it says that the seed of the woman would be bruised by the seed of the serpent. And he predicted his own death. You know, all through the Bible we know that his death was predicted. And that he even said it would be by way of crucifixion, didn't he? Remember when he was talking to Nicodemus and he said, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the... In the wilderness, so shall the Son of Man be lifted up. If I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto myself. He predicted his death, and he predicted it by way of crucifixion. So if he did indeed die, as we know he did, by the cruel and violent death of crucifixion, then the Koran is wrong, because it says he escaped death altogether. 
All right? However, if the Quran is right and Jesus did not die by crucifixion, didn't even die, period, he was just translated into heaven, guess what? The Quran is still wrong because it contradicts itself. Why? Because it declares that Jesus was a prophet of Allah. But if he did not die, as he himself predicted, then what kind of prophet is he? A false prophet. So either way, the Quran is wrong. Do you get it? Either way, by its own writings, the Quran is full of contradictions like that. And I think I have decided what I want to do when we finish the Life of Christ study and we come back in in the winter session in January is do, at some point in time, do a mini-study on the Islamic faith. I think that's very important for us to know. I'm, not, I'm only going to do maybe two or three weeks of it. I'm not going to extend anything again like 12 years, all right? promise you. <laughs> I had a young girl yesterday begging me when I finished the, 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 the This Life of Christ study, would I start it all over again? I said, oh, honey, I am not going to live that long. <laughs> all right. Thank you for your patience. Let's pray. All right. You need, well, can I close in prayer for the tape and then you can make it? Okay. Thank you, Father, for the truth, the truth of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, which is the cornerstone of our Christian worldview, because it is his resurrection that gives us the right perspective of both life and death. And it reminds us that no matter how devastating our trials might be, our struggles, our grief, our disappointments, and we all surely have them, yet we know that they are only temporary. No matter what happens to us, how deep a tragedy or how sharp the pain, even the pain of death, the resurrection of Christ promises a future of immeasurable good and wonder beyond our wildest imaginations and we thank you for that sure hope for those of us who have put our faith in him we do pray in his name amen